we're continuing our sermon series on how the Bible fits together, what we're calling the overview. Uh, we've seen in recent weeks the kingship, which is what we looked at in the kids' talk, and we started to see last week about how things started to go wrong with the exile. And this week we come to uh, the second installment of the exile. You'll see on your uh, sermon, uh, your service outline is um, on the sermon outline there that we've actually got six chapters of the Old Testament to get through today. Now, you may be wondering how on earth we're going to do that. Uh, We're not going to read every verse of those six chapters. We're going to get the main thread of it. Uh, And we're also going to break those six chapters down into three chunks and look at them as the sermon progresses. So this is the first time I've ever done a sermon with three Bible readings. But there we go. That's the best way to handle it. Uh, So I'm going to start by opening in prayer uh, and then we'll start to set the context uh, and do a little bit of a recap before we get to our first reading. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would indeed uh, continue to open our eyes to the wonder of your word and indeed the wonder of your salvation plan, uh, the way it progressively unfolds and is revealed throughout the Bible. Uh, Speaking of your sovereign control of history and your sovereign uh, and unstoppable working out of your rescue plan, ultimately through Jesus. So please, today we pray, as we look at this dark chapter of the history of Israel, we pray that we would continue to be encouraged as we see uh, the outworking of your promises uh, to Abraham, uh, ultimately to us. And we pray that we would, this would help us as we see how everything does fit together. Amen. Uh, when we say that a person or a process has reached the end of the road... Uh, we mean, of course, that they are unable to progress any further. Uh, The Collins English Dictionary defines it as the point beyond which survival or continuation is impossible. Well, as we continue to chart the Bible's salvation storyline, we come today to what would seem like the end of the road. We hit rock bottom. Uh, It seems like all is now lost. If you recall, uh, doing a brief recap, uh, through God's covenant with Abraham, God has made unconditional promises, uh, promises of blessing. Uh, God has vowed to reverse the curse of the fall. Uh, Many centuries later, God makes another covenant with his people uh, through Moses. And through that covenant, we see that these blessings are conditional. If they love God and live under his rule, they will inherit the promised blessings of Abraham. But if they turn away from God and reject his rule, they will bring on themselves the covenant's curses. They will forfeit all the blessings of peace and prosperity and the land and even God's presence. Uh, We've seen previously that under the good rule of the godly king David... Uh, The needle of the dial leans towards blessings and away from curse. However, things start to unravel under his successor and son, King Solomon. Uh, King Solomon turns away from the Lord later on in life. And as a result, under God's judgment, the kingdom is subsequently split. And we have a picture here, uh, an image of what happened. Uh, The nation of Israel became split into two kingdoms in the north the ten tribes which formed the kingdom of Israel, and in the south, the two tribes which then formed uh, the kingdom of Judah. 
So there are now two kingdoms and two lines of kings. Uh, And as we trace the lines of these kings, we see that generally uh, they were a bad lot. And as a result, the nation sinks downward deeper and deeper into this death spiral. Uh, The blessings become like sand slipping through their fingers. As we saw last week, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel quickly descends into utter depravity. Uh, The land is filled with violence and injustice and the worship of foreign deities. And all of its kings, we're told, were bad. Uh, We have a chart here of the, uh, the king's of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, and as you can see, uh, red is bad, and they were all a bad lot, totally godless and corrupt. Uh, as a result, God's judgment fell on the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, and it came about in 722 BC. Uh, the Assyrians conquered the land uh, and intermixed the people with other people groups, and as a result, the northern kingdom ceased to exist as a kingdom. Its people are never reconstituted. And the state of affairs at this point was summarized in the ominous words of 2 Kings 17, verse 18, and it says this. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. So, Uh, Now God's people have been decimated. Of the 12 tribes, only two tribes remain. And things are not looking particularly hopeful for them either. And this is where we pick up the Bible's account. After conquering the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, the Assyrians continue to push on south and continue their expansion as far as Egypt. And we have another map here. You can see that the Assyrians is the, uh, the extent of their empire is in orange, and they extended as far down as uh, Egypt. However, the kingdom of Judah does not fall to the Assyrians. Uh, whilst most of the kings of Judah were bad, fortunately at this juncture, a good king was on the throne. His name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah trusts God, and God routes the Assyrians. However, it is not long before the Assyrian theft is replaced by another. In 620 BC and 610 BC, there is the rise of a new superpower in the east, uh, Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and we see it on the, the map there. That is the, uh, the pink area, and they overtake uh, the Assyrians. Uh, the Babylonians conquer Assyria, and then seven years later, Judah is also invaded and becomes a vassal of Babylon. And this is where we pick up the account in 2 Kings chapter 24. Andrew. During Jehoiakim's Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he changed his mind and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite and Ammonite raiders against him. He sent them to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. 
For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. As for the other events of Jehoiakim's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? Jehoiakim rested with his fathers, and Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him as king. And from verse 9, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. At that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, and his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiachin prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried into exile all Jerusalem, all the officers and fighting men, and all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. And from verse 17. He made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His, mother name was, his mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah. And in the end, he thrust them from his presence. So, uh, Judah makes the same mistake with Babylon as the kingdom of Israel made with Assyria. Uh, they rebel against their overlords, and that precipitates a crisis. Uh, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, reinvades and lays siege to Jerusalem. And when the king of Judah, uh, Jehoiachin, surrenders, the Babylonians plunder the wealth and deport the key people, including the king. Uh, chapter 24, verse 13 again. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried them into exile, all Jerusalem, all the officers and fighting men and all the craftsmen and artisans, a total of 10,000. Only the poorest people of the land were left. And Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. What a shameful turn of events. Uh, Babylon then installs a puppet king. Uh, they name him Jedekiah, but he also proves to be an evil king. What a disaster. What was the cause of this traumatic series of events? Well, as with the kingdom of Israel, the exile was not just the result of a political miscalculation. The root cause of the exile was spiritual, not political. It was God's judgment on Judah's sin. After the split of the nation, uh, the Davidic line of kings, this is in Judah, continued 
uh, in that southern kingdom. But they were a bit of a mixed bunch. We have another a chart here with glorious colors on it. Uh, red is bad. Gray is not as bad. Uh, black is very bad. Uh, and yellow is <clears throat> very good. So you can see that uh, there were a couple of very good kings, but only a couple uh, out of about 20. Uh, the rest were uh, bad, unfortunately. So the two exemplary ones are uh, Hezekiah, who we've already mentioned, the one who uh, trusts God in the face of the Assyrians, uh, and the Assyrians are subsequently routed, and another good king, uh, Josiah. However, as you can see, many are bad. Uh, the most evil and depraved of all of these kings is Manasseh. Uh, there he is in black. Uh, and in fact, Judah's eventual exile is blamed on his sin. Uh, 2 Kings 24 verse 3. Uh, Surely these things happen to Judah according to the Lord's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done. Uh, as we're going to see shortly. Uh, Judah's exile will actually occur in two phases over a 10-year period. Hence, this first exile is not the end of the kingdom. The worst is yet to come. What about the prophets to the kingdom of Judah? Well, as during the Assyrian crisis in the northern kingdom... Uh, God also continues to speak to his people of Judah in the southern kingdom, even as he brings his judgment on them. Over the course of 350 years, uh, God sends various prophets to the kingdom of Judah, including the prophet Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And we are going to particularly focus on the message of Ezekiel today. Ezekiel is actually one of those deported in this first phase of the exile. He is taken from Jerusalem into Babylon. And his ministry is therefore to the fellow exiles in Babylon. Ezekiel's visions are primarily concerned with what is happening back in Jerusalem, which he's no longer there. He provides a window into the dark state of affairs of Judah, uh, how they are totally spiritually corrupt. Uh, and Ezekiel also foresees the consequences which will flow out of this, namely a second phase of the exile. Therefore, if you read the actual uh, book in the Bible, Ezekiel, the first two-thirds of the book is written to tell the Jews in exile about this continuing sinfulness of their brethren back in Judah and also to explain what God will do about it, the second phase of the exile. So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look more closely at Ezekiel's vision before we then see how it actually comes to fulfillment. Uh, the book of Ezekiel opens in 593 BC, uh, four years after the first phase of the Babylonian exile. Uh, things at this time are as bad as they have ever been since Israel first took possession of the land. Uh, as we've seen, Jerusalem has been captured uh, for the first time since David conquered it. Uh, the temple treasures have been removed. And a substantial part of the people of Judah are now in exile. 
Judah does not look like she will inherit God's promised blessings anytime soon. Instead, like the kingdom of Israel, Judah is now incurring the curses of the covenant uh, through Moses. Yet despite this, not all is yet lost. Uh, Although a conquered people, uh, Judah is still a distinct nation. Uh, Many of the people have not at this stage been exiled. And Jerusalem still stands, as does the temple. However, all will soon be lost. Although she has not yet been completely devastated, Ezekiel reveals that the end will not be long in coming. And now we come to selected readings from chapters 8 to 11 in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 8 from verse 1. In the sixth year, in the sixth month on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came upon me. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there up, his appearance was as bright and as glowing as metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven, and in visions of God he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance to the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the visions I had seen in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, Look toward the north. So I looked, and in the entrance of the north gate of the altar, I saw the idol of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the house of Israel is doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. From verse 12, he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. From verse 17, he said to me, Have you seen this, son of man? It is, is it a trivial matter for the house of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually provoke me to anger? Look at them putting the branch to their nose. Therefore I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. From chapter 9 verse 1. Then I heard him call out in a loud voice, Bring the guards of the city here, each with a weapon in his hand. And I saw six men coming from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. With them was a man clothed in linen who had a writing kit at his side. They came in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of God of Israel went up from above the cherubim where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing kit at his side and said to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. As I listened, he said to the others, Follow him throughout the city 
and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter old men, young men and maidens, women and children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. Begin at my sanctuary. So they began with all the elders who were in front of the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go. So they went out and began killing throughout the city. And from chapter 10, verse 1. I looked and I saw the likeness of the throne of uh, sapphire above the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And as I watched, he went in. Now the cherubim was standing on the south side of the temple where the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple, and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. In verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance to the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. And from chapter 11, verse 23, The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylonia, in the vision given them by the Spirit of God. Then the vision I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. So God transports Ezekiel in a vision to Jerusalem. He, of course, at this point is in Babylon. And there, Ezekiel is given this sickening insight into Judah's spiritual depravity. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 8 paints this graphic picture of the people's rank idolatry. Uh, They are practicing every form imaginable. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 5. In the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the house of Israel is doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. And the rot goes right to the top. Even the elders, the leaders of Israel, are actively engaged in these dark idolatrous practices. Verse 12. He said to me, son of man... Have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Can you imagine the offense of this to the living God? Uh, To be treated with such disdain after all he has done for these people. He's rescued them from Egypt. He's brought them to this land that he promised them. And yet they have treated him with utter contempt. They've turned away to worship false gods. They have disregarded his law and the land is filled with violence and injustice. What therefore becomes clear is this. 
God's judgment is entirely justified. It comes as no surprise when God pronounces his judgment. Chapter 8, verse 18. Therefore, he says, I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ear, I will not listen to them. And then through the remainder of the vision up to the end of Ezekiel chapter 11, God reveals what shape his judgments will take. And the details are truly horrifying. This time, there will be utter destruction. Uh, God's judgment will come and will include what you could say are the three Ds of death, destruction, and departure. Uh, Firstly, uh, there will be widespread death. There will be an appalling loss of life. Ezekiel 9, verse 5. As I listened, he said to the others, follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter old men, young men, and maidens, women, and children. You see, it is true. The wages of sin is death. Uh, The second D, uh, destruction of Jerusalem by fire. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 2. The Lord said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And then thirdly, the third D, and even more shocking, the third D of departure. Uh, God withdraws his presence from among his people. There is this progressive departure of God's glory, at first from the temple and then finally from the city. Uh, chapter 10, verse 18. Then, uh, then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. And then chapter 11, uh, verse 23. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountains east of it. The glory of the Lord first departs from the temple and then departs from the city and goes east over the mountains. Can you imagine how calamitous this would be to the people of Israel? Do you get a sense of the trauma such a vision would bring? Ever since way back in the desert of their history, when they were, had been liberated from Egypt, there was the tabernacle, and God had been present with his people. Uh, for hundreds of years, they had become accustomed to this priceless privilege of God dwelling in their midst. And yet now this privilege is being withdrawn, and God's presence departs. So through the vision given to Ezekiel, God reveals what he is going to do and why he is going to do it. And 2 Kings chapter 25 is the historic account of how what was foretold in the vision to Ezekiel actually comes to pass. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, 
The famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. They put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army, under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. From verse 15. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze to Babylon. The commander of the guards took as prisoners Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and the five royal advisers. He also took the secretary who was, the, who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land and 60 of his men who were found in the city. The commander took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. There at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity, away from her land. So after the first exile of Judah, uh, the Babylonians had installed a puppet king. Uh, they called him Zedekiah. Unfortunately, he is foolish enough to think that he can rebel against Babylon and get away with it. And this time, the Babylonians return and they are in no mood for being nice. They besiege Jerusalem and eventually it falls. And then the judgment decreed by God is enacted by the Babylonians. The three Ds become a horrific reality. Firstly, death, the loss of life is huge. Mass executions are carried out, including the king and his sons, the chief priests, the royal advisors, the officers in charge of the fighting men, and many, many more. The second D, destruction. Jerusalem is destroyed by fire. Uh, the city, including the temple, is razed to the ground. Uh, 2 Kings 25 verse 9. And he set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem, every important building, he burnt down. And the third D, departure. With the destruction of the temple, uh, God's glory departs. It is hard for us to appreciate the great sense of devastation and loss felt by Israel concerning the exile. 
but we do get glimpses of it at various points in the Bible. Uh, The book of Lamentations is a collection of five lament poems which recount the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh, Some of the Psalms express the sense of national grief and trauma as a result of the exile. Psalm 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, Jerusalem. Uh, Do those words sound familiar? Who can uh, name the group which put those songs to? Boniem, well done, well done. Some of you are looking still quite blank, uh, maybe before your time or maybe not really your cup of tea. Uh, But actually, it was quite a good song, I have to say, 1978. Uh, They popularized it and uh, did rather a good job of it. Uh, Maybe look it up on YouTube later. I thought about closing the service today with it, but I decided against that. So, uh, in conclusion, uh, let's review the state of the covenants at this point. Uh, Tragically, uh, God's judgment has now run its course. Uh, God's people have now forfeited all the promised blessings. Instead, they have reaped the curses. And the situation is summarized in nine sobering, pithy, and poignant words in 2 Kings 25, verse 21. So Judah went into captivity away from the land. Everything previously gained has now been lost. Lost is the good life in the land. Peace and prosperity are now distant memories of a bygone era. Lost is the rule of the Davidic kingship. Uh, The great and numerous nation is no longer great or numerous. And lost is God's presence with them. The exile is the final piece of proof that God's unconditional promises through Abraham cannot be fulfilled within this Old Testament framework? How can God possibly grant His blessings to people who are persistently sinful and rebellious against Him? And therefore, the exile shows conclusively that God cannot deliver on His promises to reverse the curse of the fall until the problem of sin has been dealt with. Something radically new is needed. However, even at this dark moment, there is a small hint that not everything is lost. If you recall in Ezekiel's vision, there is a minority of the people who have remained faithful to God. There is what is called a remnant who survive his judgment. Ezekiel 9 verse 4. In Ezekiel's vision, God says this, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. And as I listened, he said to the others, Follow him through the city and kill without showing pity or compassion. Slaughter old men, young men and maidens, women and children, but do not touch anyone who has the mark. There it is. Some of the people have the mark. Some of the people have remained faithful to God. 
Uh, this theme of the remnants will now move center stage in God's unfolding purposes. Could it be that God can still deliver on his promises to reverse the curse through this remnant? Could a king in the line of David yet be restored to the throne from this remnant? And next week we come to the message of the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah will talk of a shoot coming up out of the stump of David. The prophet Isaiah will talk about good news of a future prince of peace. And the prophet Isaiah will speak of light dawning on the people in their darkness. The prophet Isaiah will deliver a message of restoration beyond God's judgment. And he will rekindle hope where only despair remained. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, as we've reflected on this dark chapter of the history of Israel, uh, please we pray, uh, continue to amaze us by your unfolding purposes uh, revealed through Scripture and through the history of this nation. Help us to see that your judgment is indeed just and deserved, but that you are also gracious and you still will hold out hope of restoration beyond your judgment. Therefore, we pray you would encourage our hearts as we continue on this journey next, uh, next time to look at the prophet Isaiah and the message he brings of hope beyond your judgment. Amen.